Hey, it's HPG. This is the podcast, Living My Breastless Life, the show where we hear about my journey to heal while battling cancer, being a wife, a toddler mom. We're going to cover all things real life. We learn what it really means to heal no matter what we go through. In season one, you will hear some of my story along with episodes featuring my occasional co-host, Martha, and some badass guests. There will be humor, life hacks, tips and tricks, and further proof that truth can be stranger than fiction. So today I have the privilege of having JC Miller on the show. How you doing today, JC? Hey, I'm good. How are you? Doing pretty good. So I just want to introduce you primarily as one of my childhood friends, close high school friends, college friends, lifelong friends. We have known each other a very, very long time. And what brought us back together, per se, is breast cancer. So, Unfortunately. Right. What an unfortunate way to reconnect. But I am very thankful for your support during during the battle, for Same. sure. So what I think is interesting, I was doing some math. We're about a month apart in age. Right. And almost a month to the day in diagnosis. Yep. That's pretty weird. Well, and we're, we're almost a month to the day apart in age, too. Yeah. Which and is crazy. we are from the same place, grew up together. Um, and if I had to share this journey, I'm thankful I had to have you by my side. So thank me you too. for that. So tell me um, a little bit about your diagnosis. So I turned 40 during COVID, like when everything was shut down, part of COVID. And so I obviously couldn't schedule a mammogram because at that time, as you know, they uh-huh. were not doing just general mammograms. If you had a lump or if you had an issue, they would do a mammogram. But if you didn't have any, you know, family history, any reason to be concerned, they didn't. They were postponing them for a little while. So I did not have my mammogram right when I turned 40 due to COVID. So I scheduled my mammogram. I'm a teacher. So I scheduled my mammogram for the next summer um, when I was out of school and I went to have my mammogram done. I have no family history of breast cancer. I had no reason to think that anything was, you know, wrong. I had no lump that I could feel or anything like that. And um, at my mammogram, she told me that they would probably call me back because I had dense breast tissue. Um, But apparently she also saw something. She didn't tell me that because, you know, they can't. So they called me back and I have a friend who does diagnostic mammograms. So she got me in very quickly to do my diagnostic mammogram and then to do, um, well, and then when she saw on my diagnostic that there was something suspicious, she immediately um, had the doctor do a biopsy that day. Um, Oh, wow. So, yeah, I wasn't prepared for that. I wasn't, you know, expecting that. But I also am a, you know, hit the ground running kind of person. And I knew 
that if I was going to have to do it, we might as well just get the show on the road, right? And so right. I was like, sure, we'll do it. Um, so I had all that done on the, the Thursday before um, the 4th of July weekend. And um, we were going out of town for the 4th and we went on um, to the lake. To, we had friends that had a lake house in the mountains. We went on to the lake and um, at the lake that weekend, I was just trying to, you know, be positive and think that that obviously there's no way this is going to be cancer, you know. And I got an email while we were out on the boat. <coughs> Excuse me. And while I, th- I thought when the email popped up, because it said it was, you know, my chart notification that I had new test results. And I thought, oh, well, then obviously the biopsy was benign because they wouldn't email you that you have cancer. That's crazy. So I opened it on the boat with my kids and it was not benign. It obviously said that I had cancer and it was Saturday night, a 4th of July weekend. I think the holiday that year was on Monday and, or it was observed on Monday. And so I couldn't call any doctor to find out like, what does this mean? I couldn't I didn't know, you know, like how big is this cancer? How, what stage is this cancer? Like I knew nothing. Um, And that was super hard. Just knowing that you have this diagnosis, but not being able to get any information about the diagnosis. That was tough. Yeah. I don't think I realized that you and your family were on a boat. Oh, yeah. Like Mm -hmm. when you got the notification. So when you read it, did it and say invasive, lobular? Yep. Like, I mean, it said it said the same word. Is it the type? It just said invasive. Inv- it didn't say cancer. It said invasive lobular carcinoma, and then it said um, a lot of stuff. You know, a lot of um, like they do all these other numbers, like her two. My HER2 was like inconclusive at that point. I was estrogen, progesterone positive. There was another number that I didn't know what it meant. And so I didn't know what any, you know, I didn't know what any of that meant. I had never, I mean, I, I, I knew people that had had breast cancer, but not, I wasn't close friends with them during their, like when they had breast cancer. So I didn't know anything about it. Um, and that's all it said. It was just basically the, the, results from the biopsy, like the medical, you know, mumbo jumbo. So I didn't really know like what any of that meant. Um, And we have three sons. Our oldest son was volunteering at a camp for like five weeks that summer. And it was right in the middle of his time at camp, which was another crazy part because I felt really, really like no questions asked. I wanted my voice to know what was going on from the beginning. I didn't want to hide anything from them because my younger two, you know, have been with me. They knew that I had had a test done and they could tell that something wasn't right that weekend, you know, like they could tell that I wasn't 100% myself. And I don't, I'm not, I'm a very um, open person. So I didn't like feeling like I was hiding something from them. Um, So... We, I talked with my friend. Um, I had have a really good friend that has been through breast cancer, but I didn't know her when that happened to her. So I called her and kind of got her to walk me through what she could. And her diagnosis was different than my diagnosis, obviously, but um, she kind of walked me through what she could. And I 
we went that night or the next morning and got Dax, our oldest, from camp for the night. And we told the boys that I had breast cancer and that we didn't know, you know, what stage or anything like that, but that we were really confident that I would be okay and that, you know, we just wanted them to know because the next few months were going to be different for our family and really hard. And that was the hardest conversation that I've ever had in my life. Um, and I've had some hard conversations in my life, but that one was rough because I knew I was breaking their heart. I knew that yeah. by telling them that their mom had cancer, I was breaking their heart and I was changing their lives forever. And on the other side of that, I now see that, you know, while I was changing their lives forever and some of that was really, really hard, also, they're so much better for it. Like, they're, you know, going to be better husbands one day. They're going to just be better all-around people because we've been through this as a family. But at the time, you don't want to have to tell your kids something like that. You just don't. And yeah, well, you have to manage enough. their their reaction yeah. and their emotion as a mama, but with so little unknowns. Right. And when you hear cancer. Right. And mine, that's what I was about yeah. to say. Mine were old enough to know what that meant. Like, uh-huh. my oldest at the time was 16. He was about to turn 17. Or maybe he was 15, about to turn 16. I don't know. And my younger two, my middle one was in middle school and my youngest one was in fifth grade. So, I mean, you know, they were old enough to know, like, this is serious. Like, this is, you know what I mean? Like, not, I mean, they weren't, you know, six-year-olds don't know what, I mean, they do, but they don't. Mine were older. So, that was hard. It was hard. It sucked. Yeah, definitely. Did they have a lot of questions for you when you told them? Initially, they all like just completely freaked out. Um, I mean, completely fell apart for like 10 or 15 minutes. And then they said, "What you know, what is it? Jax kind of um, took the lead as the oldest, which is, I'm the oldest too. That's what we do. He kind of took the lead as the oldest and he was like, all right, guys, okay. The mom says she's going to be okay. She looks okay. She seems to feel okay. And um, I told him I didn't know. I don't know what this means. Um, But I do know that breast cancer treatment has come so, so far, you know, in, in the past, in my lifetime, in the past 30 or 40 years. And I do know that, you know, um, we're going to do everything we can to make sure I'm okay. And that's all I could really tell him. <clears throat> and then we took them for a hike that day. Because I wanted them to see that, like, I was okay. And hiking something our family does a lot anyway. And I just needed them to, like, feel like I was somewhat normal, you know? Yeah. And, and know that I wasn't, like, super sick. I mean, because I didn't know I had cancer until they told me I had cancer. I didn't feel like right. anything, you know? So, same here. Yeah. So, when uh, I want to go back to that, that you found out on the portal or my chart. Did you ever give your practice feedback, your medical practice feedback about I did posting such news? Yeah, um, yeah. How did I that? Did. How given, was that received? Well, it's a federal law that as soon as medical um, information is received, it is supposed to be posted. So a, a lot of times, apparently, and I didn't know this, the law had just changed maybe like 
within six months before my diagnosis. Um, and so apparently sometimes the doctor doesn't even see the results before the patient, which is insane because as a patient, like you don't know how to read those results, whether it's cancer, right. or whether it's anything, right? Like you don't know what that means. Right. So, I mean, I have definitely voiced my concern about that. And, you know, I don't really check unless I know... Unless I know that I'm emailing back and forth with my doctor about a certain thing, I don't check my my chart for test results ever. I don't ever check my my chart for test results now, which, you know, probably isn't the best thing, but I, I refuse to because I it's like PTSD for me. Like I was going to say, you probably have really strong um, feelings yeah, about yeah, yeah. hearing or reading information in that right. way. I yeah. am the opposite. I will be on that portal or that chart before we get back from a scan. Yeah, yeah no. Um, I know we are very opposite <laughs> in that way. Um, so you and I had a very similar treatment course. Yeah. Um, do you want to tell us about what your, like, I know you had a double mastectomy. Yeah. So initially... It was recommended that I have a lumpectomy. Um, and I knew that I did not want a lumpectomy. And the, the first doctor that I saw was adamant that he felt like that was the best course of action for me. And I was adamant that it was not the best course of action for me. So then I started kind of um, doing my research and just praying about like, wh what doctor am I supposed to see? You know, I knew the doctor that I had seen initially. I only saw that doctor initially because of where my diagnostic mammogram was done and stuff. I knew that was never who would do my surgery. He wasn't a breast surgeon. He was just a general surgeon. Uh -huh. um, so I immediately found my surgical oncologist. Um, and I always, you know, I would pray about it and say like, Lord, please just show me who I'm supposed to see. And within five minutes, somebody would call me or I would see someone or whatever. And they would say, um, I really think you need to see Dr. Turk. And I would be like, okay, all right, all right, I'll see Dr. Turk. And then I would start thinking, well, there are so many doctors, you know, I live in the Charlotte area. We have two really good cancer centers here. Lord, please show me who I'm supposed to see. And again, within five minutes, somebody would tell me Dr. Turk. And I know God was probably like, stop flipping asking me. I have shown you, like, <laughs> you don't have to keep saying Pay it. Attention. You know? Right, like, hello. Um, so I saw Dr. Turk and... Well, I, I was referred to Dr. Turk and I also immediately got a nurse navigator and she works for Dr. Turk's office and she's amazing. Um, and she and I have become very close through the course of my treatment. Um, I could have never done all this without her, you know, guiding hand on the ma medical aspect of it all. Um, but she set me up with Dr. Turk and with several other, you know, appointments to figure all this out and when I met with Dr. Turk the first time, prior to any other testing, I said, I really feel very strongly about having a mastectomy. And he said, well, I, I completely support that. He said, now, I have to tell you that that is not what is recommended by the whatever. There's like a national breast cancer, whatever, and they recommend what's best based on all these criteria. <laughs> and that wasn't recommended for me at that time. But he said, I support it. I understand why and I support it. And if that's what you want to do, then that's what we'll do. 
So then he started talking me through the genetic testing process and all that. So I started that process pretty quickly. Um, and when my genetic testing came back, it showed that I did have a genetic mutation and it was not one of the common breast cancer mutations. I have an ATM mutation. And until I think they said like 50 or 20 years ago, they didn't even flag that for breast cancer. I don't even, it may have been less years than that. It just within the past little while started being flagged for breast cancer. And in fact, that mutation has the 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 um, data has changed even since my diagnosis, which is wild. Um, so I had my family do genet genetic testing as well. And um, we found out that the gene mutation came from my dad's side of the family. And so that's why we didn't have any family history of breast cancer because my dad doesn't have any sisters. Um, my dad had seven brothers. And that gene mutation does not cause a higher risk of breast cancer in men, only in women. So that's why we didn't have a history of breast cancer. That's why I didn't know that I should have started having a mammogram at 35. You know, <laughs> I didn't know any of that. Um, so anyway, that gene mutation made it necessary for me to have a mastectomy. It didn't really matter what I wanted, but that's what I wanted anyway. So that was the plan. Um, and at the time of my surgery, the plan was that I would have surgery and then I would do radiation and that would be that. I would be done. But when I had surgery, um, the initial biopsy of my lymph nodes showed no cancer detectable. But then I guess they send it off for like, the way my doctor described it is a down and dirty um, biopsy. So basically where they molecularly biopsy the lymph nodes, like every molecule gets biopsied essentially. And there was molecular involvement in my lymph nodes that was not detected in any other biopsy. And I mean, I'm glad they detected it, but that meant that I had to go through chemo. And uh -huh. that was not anything that we had ever talked about before because there was no indication, you know, that that was a necessary part of my treatment plan. So I had surgery. I had um, initially decided that I wanted to have um, implants. Um, I have, like I said, three sons. And I just didn't want them to have a flat mom. Like, I didn't want them to be the weirdos with a, with a flat mom. And so... I had expanders put in after my first surgery, and then um, my body rejected the expanders, so I ended up having them explanted, and they have a flat mom anyway, the boys do, um, and that's fine. Um, <laughs> so they, I had my expanders explanted, and then I started chemotherapy, and so... Um, I had to do four rounds of the AC, which is the Red Devil, and then 12 rounds of, I don't even remember what the name of the other one was, whatever Taxol. it was. Yes, Taxol. Um, and it was hard. Um, it was, uh, the AC was really hard, like black hole hard. Um, and that's how I relate how I felt during AC. I would, I was very lucky that I had 24 hours that were a black hole. And I knew that, so I could plan around that. I would get my treatment on Fridays. And Friday night, I would go to Jax's football game every Friday night. Um, and then Saturday, I would be perfectly fine. I would go for a walk. I would go get my shot. 
New Lasta or whatever that mm-hmm. shot was. Is that what it was called? New Lasta? Yep. Um, and then Sunday morning, I would get up and go for a walk. And I would know that by one o'clock on Sunday afternoon, I needed to start planning. Like the black hole was coming. And by three, the black hole had hit. And then I was like, the only way I know how to describe it is like the most hungover with the flu mm-hmm. anybody could ever be. Yes. It's like a combination of like, I mean, I don't know. It, it's awful. But I would go into the black hole and usually I would try really hard to stay in the living room and watch football with the boys until about 5.30 or 6. And some days I could do that and some days I could And then I would go to bed and I would just stay in bed. And Jason, my husband, would get up in the morning on Monday and get everybody to school. And then I would usually get up about... I mean, I would get up and do my medicine, whatever I needed to do, but then I would go out of bed. And I would usually get up about two or three and I would be okay. But that 24 hours was a really yeah. rough 24 hours. You um, know, something I didn't know, I've, you know, I quit Dr. Google because of the rabbit yeah, holes me too. Um, yeah. that I have a tendency to go down as a person. And I really wanted to stay off Dr. Google. But... The AC, a.k.a. Red Devil, that is the strongest chemo on the market. And a person yeah. can only get it once in their lifetime because of the damage it does on your heart. Oh, great. And that's why we had to have the echocardiograms, yeah, you know, yeah. the baseline, just to see where we were, like, from ejection fraction standpoint, like, functioning of your heart. You can only get it once. So because we were 41... We had to get it every other week. And if you're over 60, you have to have like a two-week gap because your body just can't take it. So because we were younger, we got hit harder because ideally we could take it. But we can never... I mean, I never say never. I'm not a doctor. Um, But you can get four treatments of that particular type in a lifetime because of how damaging it is and how hard it is. Yeah, it's, it, it, and it is so hard. Yeah, I think you described um, that accurately. I know you had given me that kind of heads up. Would you say you like it's like the worst alcohol hangover possible paired with like type A or B flu? Yeah. That is hard to imagine, but that is a very accurate yeah. analogy of what and it's I, like. I mean... I know people that have done it that are out for the count for like days on end. So I felt very blessed for my 24-hour black hole because truly um, I was going through chemo during football and soccer season through the AC part. And my boys are all involved in sports. And so it was important to me not to really miss their games. So I would go to bed on Sunday and then I would get up on Monday and be at Jet's soccer game now. Sometimes uh, I was sitting at a soccer game thinking I should not be here. Like, I know these people can look at me and tell that I feel... Because, like, after that 24 hours, I would feel like... I don't know if you felt like this or not, but, like, all jittery inside. Like, nauseous, but also, like, all jittery inside. So I felt like people could tell that, you know? Like, yeah. And, I mean, I'm sure they couldn't, but... Um, yeah, the amount it of... helped me... Steroids... Yeah, the dexamethasone, I think is what it was called. They give us, like, give us a false sense of energy. So it sounds like it was good for you to, like, be able to go to the boys' games. And it, like, bridged 
energy, whether it's false or not. As moms, we don't care. Right. We just have to, we just want to be present and literally show right. up for our kids. Well, and I think the boys being so active and so busy helped me get through all that because I knew that I didn't want to miss anything. And so I pretty much am the most hard-headed person. So if I decide something, then by God, that's how it's going to be. Uh-huh. And it made me... It made me stay active. It made me go. I walked a lot. I drank a lot of water, even though I freaking did not want to drink not a drop of it. Maybe, but the boys made me do that, and <clears throat> I never really knew the impact that had on them. I mean, I hoped they saw that, like, mom is showing up, right? Even though she feels like crap, I hope they saw that because that's the kind of mom I want them to know that I was. And like a hundred years from now. I want them to tell their grandkids, like, my mom was a bad butt. This is what she did, you right. know, kind of thing. But I never knew if they, because they're boys and they're teenagers, you know, but Jack says this is his senior year. And on senior night, his coach has the boys write a letter or a card to their mom or their grandmother, whoever the woman is in their life. And Jack's, that's what he wrote in the card. Thank you for showing up for me, even when you were going through chemo and even when you felt at your worst. You never missed a game. And I want you to know that it makes me proud that I looked up and always saw you sitting there. So I know I did the right thing, you know? And it... As much as it meant to him, it meant more to me. Right. Because it made me be there, you know? Yeah. Let's take a little break and get right back to the show. Feel free to let us know what topics you'd like to see covered in future episodes. Get in touch by heading over to According to HPG on Instagram and be sure to tell your friends about the show. There was a time when I thought I could record, edit, and publish everything myself. Seeing as this left me very little time for anything else, I started to lose the standard of quality I was used to. Then I found Jay. In less than a day, the show went from so-so to amazing. Don't sacrifice quality for mediocrity. Check out the podcast mechanic and take your sound to the next level. Connect with Jay today at the Podcast Mechanic on Instagram. Let him know HPG sent you. And now, back to the show. I think for me, having a one-year-old, you know, we had kids at different stages in life, people say, well, she won't remember, but I do. Right, right. And something interesting now that she's more verbal and drawing sentences together, she was in her bed the other night because you know we just recently had COVID for the first time. And I I don't know if this is just her listening and observing or if this is what lives in my head but she was patting my arm and she said mama are you hurting and she doesn't do that to her other mom and it just made me wonder like how much does she know she picked up on right 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 because as you know when like chemo ends and radiation ends 
it's not over. So there's still no pain and side effects from the treatment. Yeah. Well, and my boys are definitely more, especially my oldest, uh, very protective of me to the point of like driving me insane in the memory. <laughs> but at the same time, like I'm, I love that he loves me like that. On the flip side of that, by God, I'm the adult. So right. back up, buddy. Right. You know? Uh, but I know it's because of everything I've been through and everything he's been through with me. Yeah. And I think they'll always be a bit protective of me because of cancer, you know? Yeah, um, I'm sure. I'm sure. It's just, it's just interesting. And I'm so proud to hear that he wrote that letter. And I'm sure that was like, obviously, you knew you were showing up in the in the best way that you could yeah. in the way that y'all would both remember but I'm sure that was very very touching to your mama heart yeah well you just want you no matter what relationship it is you want to know that you're seen right and Uh that the things that you are doing matter whether it's like in your job or with your husband or wife or your Uh kids or whatever and like I think the the I'm a teacher, so, like, the place that that's the hardest is with children, whether they're, especially teenagers, but because it's not that they don't see you, it's not that they don't appreciate, but they're just teenagers, and they're difficult, and so to know that he saw me, you know? Yeah. Like, really saw. It it was very sweet, and it, I definitely am glad that he did, and I'm also glad that I know that he did, you know? Yeah. I think, too, like, from my experience, uh, and then social workers, specifically a medical social worker. So I was everybody else's advocate throughout my career. And I was a hospice social worker for a long time. And I worked oncology after I left hospice. So what's a note to me is that I did not realize all that folks that are battling cancer go through because I only heard parts of the story. Yeah. And I have been on the other side of the desk. And when I became a patient, I had that strive to not be seen solely as a cancer patient. So I wanted to be seen at work as a leader, as, you know, I wanted to show up in that way. And I wanted to show up as a wife and a mom. Yeah. I did not want to be defined by this diagnosis. You and I have um, tenacity in common. Yeah. Yeah, and I think you don't want... I mean, I want people to hear my story. Don't get me wrong. Uh-huh. Uh, the boys would kind of probably rather not talk about it as much. But I want people to hear my story because I want people to know that you can be 41 years old with no family history and have breast cancer. So yeah. it is very important to get your screenings. Like, it's not about people... I don't want people to feel sorry for me, though. Right, right. And that's why the boys... Like, the boys and Jason are as much... They weren't as vocal about it. And the reason is because they don't want people to feel sorry for them. And I understand that. I do understand that wholeheartedly because I don't want that either. But if it takes people feeling sorry for me, for one or two people to get their mammogram and find out they have stage zero or stage one breast cancer versus stage four breast cancer, then that's fine. I'll take it. Like, whatever it takes is how I feel about it. Absolutely. I think for me, you know, cancer runs rampant on my dad's side of the family to the point that there's very few people left to talk about. But my grandmother mm-hmm. had breast cancer, had a mis- her right breast removed back in the 90s. And I think for me, if I had stayed in the mindset of when do I get cancer, 
I would have been crazier than I was. <laughs> so I just kind of like probably blocked it out. Probably some trauma yeah. there because you know how many people we've lost on my side of the family. So right. Um, I, I'm so passionate about sharing it because I almost canceled my mammogram because I was busy at work. And I right. hear so many people right down to the internet provider. If I'm on hold for a while, we're chit-chatting. I'll just say like, yeah, I just battle cancer. And, you know, I'm just talking. I don't know. I'm not looking for sympathy. Like you said, I'm just talking. You know, I love to talk, obviously. Right. And they'll be like, oh, I had that scheduled, but I... I I just didn't go because I got busy. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. If you, I would not be talking to you, vice versa, had we not went. And yeah. I think, well, I, and I think it's our age too. Like people our age, we just feel a little bit invincible. Like, you know, it's not normal for 40, 40 year old ish people to have like cancer or, um, you know, some type of like a, a deathly illness. But at the same time, it is one in flipping eight. Yes. Like there is a reason there are young survivors groups. There are. And I think you hear one in eight, but you don't think about what that really looks like. Right. right. And so, I mean, I agree. I think it is important to me to talk about it and to be very transparent about it. You know, people are like, oh, you handled that so well. I mean, did I? I don't know. I'm glad people think that. Like, good for them that they think that. But I was <laughs> like, they could hear my inner thoughts right. if they would be like, oh, my God, you're crazy or what. But I don't, I want to be transparent as much as I can. I want to be an advocate for mammograms and screenings of any kind. I want to be at, I want to be a safe place for people who are young and facing a diagnosis like this to feel like, you know, like I'm not crazy and this girl gets it, yeah. you know, um, because it's hard and it sucks and you feel crazy and and even after, like you said a minute ago, even after it's all over, I'm um, almost, I'm about to celebrate my one year yes. post-chemo on February 11th. Yeah. Um, so I'm pretty stoked about that. Um, but even though it's been almost a year since chemo and almost a year since radiation, I mean, my last treatment per se, I mean, obviously I, I have to take medicine, but my last treatment per se was April 1st of last year. So, I mean, I'm really, really close to a, a year out of everything. I'm still not normal. Right. And I, I'm never going to be what I thought was normal. No. Again, there's no, there's, there's no way that 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 will ever be again, and I think sometimes that's really hard for me, and I think it's hard for my family to wrap their minds around uh -huh. because I think, especially because I'm surrounded by boys and men, whatever. <laughs> Amen. Jack's isn't quite a man yet, but um, because I'm surrounded by like they, you know, they went through it with me. Like I'm not, they supported me. They have held my hand through a lot, but then there's also a part of them that they're like, oh my God, thank God it's over. Moving on. You know what I'm saying? And not because they're insensitive or anything, but right. because that is, it's best for them to know it's over. And I'm fine with that. But I think it's hard to get them sometimes to understand that like, for me, yes, the the hard part's over, but there's still a lot that will never be over. You know? Yes. It's like, I think about this analogy, like if, if I have persistent toe pain and by persistent, I mean greater than two hours, I'd like, I have metastatic toe cancer. This is it. 
like the fear right. of reoccurrence and like yes just the side yeah. effects that'll pop up um yes crazy stuff i mean yeah called like from the medicine mm-hmm. that you're on now oh. i mean my my wrist hurts and i asked my doctor about it because i was sure that i had wrist cancer right and it's in my joint and she's like uh that you can't that's not it's fine you're fine it's the medicine but like that's what you automatically think you know i mean it's it's crazy and it's almost too i think uh, and i I mean i appreciate this that i feel like after you go through everything then you're almost treated as if you never had breast cancer to begin with like i'm on medicine yes but like my medicine puts me in menopause that's fine. But I don't have scans. I don't have, like, I'm just, I'm okay because they got all the cancer. And that's wild. It's wild. Yeah. But then on the flip side of that, if you had scans every three months, then you'd be crazy about that. So it's a catch-22. I it mean, is. It's a roller coaster of emotions and feelings and, like, fear and happiness. One survivor recently yeah. told me she was blessed but depressed. Because, you know, for, yeah. for me, like after radiation ended, I did some research and that's like when you kind of come out of true survival mode and your brain, from a scientific standpoint, is able to process like, whoa, what happened to me? So mm-hmm. you'll see a real mm-hmm. slump sometimes in folks not coping very well because they're right. like reflecting. And I think people are like, well, why aren't you celebrating? Uh, yeah. You know, there's a lot of like kind of like what you were saying of like, well, it's over. Yeah, but I right, I feel like that's a lot of where the healing kind of really begins because you're healing from like those days of like black holes that you went through. I mean, I'm kind of glad that yeah. our brain does that so we don't remember because I don't really remember much about AC at all. Yeah, I don't remember kind a lot either. I mean, blessed. I mean, it's kind of like. My doctor told me after one of the boys, I think after my middle one was born, when I got pregnant with my third son, I went to the doctor and I loved my doctor. Love, love, love. And I I walked in, I was like, hey. He was like, what are you doing here? I was like, I'm pregnant. He was like, oh my God. (laughs) And I was like, what in the world? And he was like, he said, you hate being pregnant. Why do you keep getting pregnant? And I was like, I mean, I love my kids. And he was like, yeah, that's what your body does. And I was like, what do you mean? And he said, if women remembered how hard pregnancy and the delivery could never do it again of a baby was they would never do it again and that's the, I think that's the way God protects us uh-huh. right like if I could dwell in how hard AC was and everything I went through during that time I would be that crazy but God allows me to like get through it and he gave me the strength to get through it and then also makes it where I can I can definitely identify with somebody that's going through it and talk them through some of the stuff but also the, the day-to-day, the every detail, that's gone for me. Like, yeah. I don't remember that. I'm never going to draw that back up. Right. I think that is a blessing. So, yeah. I want to ask you one final question. I have two. What was the okay. hardest physical symptom that you can remember from the whole, oh. from the surgery um, to radiation? I think, I think for me, the hardest physical symptom was healing after the mastectomy. And it's because I, of my body rejecting the implants or the expanders, 
And I think that's something that is not talked about enough. Um, there, There is something called aesthetic flat closure. And that was never discussed with me. That was never brought up to me. That was never, nobody ever talked to me about that even being an option. And I wish they had because I think I would have thought more about it if I had known it was a thing. Uh And also, when I went to talk to my plastic surgeon about, you know, um, expanders and implants and all the things, he told me that um, less than 1% of people have problems with their implants. And that is not true. And so I wish I had done more research on that because that was the hardest part for me. I would not have had issues healing without those expanders. Um, and But I didn't know, you yeah. know? And so physically, that was the hardest part. Um, I really don't think... Once I had the expanders removed, I healed beautifully. Um, and it was not... And I don't want to say, I don't want to like downplay it. I mean, it was still major surgery, but I mean, it was way different and way better. But at first, trying to heal with those implants was awful. Awful. What do you, what do you recall being the most bizarre side effect of chemo? Oh, well, I mean, the black hole and then, um, like, well, I think being dumb, like chemo <laughs> makes you really dumb. Yes. Otherwise, fitness chemo, brain. which is probably, <laughs> yeah, which is probably why I can't think of what the most bizarre side effect was. But I mean, I think for sure the black hole, like how that all happened, and then that, um, like the way your fingers would feel weird. That's weird. Okay. Um, the bone. I only had bone pain once. Um, that was we. I mean, it's all yeah. weird. I don't know. Like I feel like it's all so. You texted me one time and you said. If my nose hair does not return, I'm going to cut somebody. Yes. I forgot and about I thought, that. Yes. What? And I thought, I didn't even think about, like, why do we have nose hair? It's things you never think about. And when I got to that part oh, of my huh. yeah, I had journey. See, I forgot. <laughs> I was like, I see why she said it. So she used those words because it is bizarre. And it's things that I would have never thought, like, that no. people lose their nose hair. But it is a very bizarre yeah. like part of yeah, it. Yeah, because your nose runs all the flipping time then. And I mean that yeah, that part was awful. I mean, I didn't like losing my hair, but I re- I mainly didn't like losing my eyebrows and eyelashes because I felt like that made me look sick. Like if I had lost just my head hair, I'd have probably been fine. But my eyebrows and eyelashes, I felt like that made me look sick. But I forgot how the yucky it was not to have nose hair. That's that's bad. It's bizarre. It has a very bizarre detail that... Yeah. um, I'm glad... You can't really prepare someone for how they'll feel when they lose their nose hair. That's how bizarre and random it is, so... Right. Well, and I didn't even know to expect it, I don't think. Uh, yeah. I don't know. When you think about losing your hair, you think about the hair on your head. You don't think about anything else. Yeah. You know? And then you start thinking, so, like, it's purpose. Like, why do I have this? Clearly, I do for a reason because right. I know when it's gone. So, in right. closing, yeah. Yeah. if you could, like, looking back on what you know now and you could do something different, what would it be? Well, I probably would have gotten my mammogram earlier. I probably would have demanded to have a mammogram, you know, maybe in the fall when things sort of opening back up a little bit. Um, but, I mean, also, yeah, I think we could all say, what if we would have whatever? Like, if I had done the mammogram earlier, would this spot have been as easily detected? Did it need to get to the size that it was to be completely detectable? 
on an immigrant. I mean, I don't know. I don't know the answer to yeah. that. Um, I think, I think for me, I would have walked more and worked less. Yeah, yeah. And see, I think I did that. I do feel like I will say that. Um, and you know my daddy, but my daddy, uh, he does not voice a very strong opinion often. No, he has them, <laughs> but he, he doesn't voice yes. them. <laughs> but when we found out that I was going to have to go through chemo, my daddy said, I do not, I, because I'm a teacher, I think if I had been in any other position, he wouldn't have cared. But because I'm a teacher in the classroom with 30 kids, you know, 30, well, really 90 kids, 30 different sets of kids, three times a day. Um, he said, I don't want you to go back to work with your immune system like it is because typically if people really, really have a hard time with chemo, it's really that that they get something else, you know, like yeah. they have chemo and they get sick with the flu or whatever and their body just can't fight yeah. it. And he was like, I don't want you to do that. And he was adamant about it. And so I did not work and that was needed and I also did walk a lot and I do think I would say if I had advice for somebody who's about to start chemo that would be my advice rest and walk and hydrate because by doing those things I really do feel like I kept my body in fighting mode like you know and um and that was helpful to yeah. me. It was definitely helpful. And, and my mental health was better because of yeah. that too. I would say that those three pieces of advice would help folks prepare prepare their future self. Like with yeah. the mental health, the yeah. physical component of yeah. walking. I mean, even still now, if I am walking and working out three or four times a week, I'm in a better headspace than when I'm not. Yeah. And I mean, because my life is back to normal and I have three kids and they have all the things all the time, I, I'm not always doing that. I need to be, but I'm not always. But when I am, I'm in a better yeah. place mentally and emotionally. I'm just in a better place. So, you notice a difference. I mean, obviously. Difference. Yeah. 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 So obviously when you're going through hard stuff, it's necessary to do things that, you know, help you handle it. Yeah. You know? Well, thank you for being on the show today. I really enjoyed of course talking with you. And um I hope you have a good afternoon. I'll talk to you soon. You too. Okay. Love, Love you. you. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Living My Breastless Life. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please leave a review, download, and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Go get your mammograms.